into a game. And it was, hey, if you hear somebody grumbling and complaining, call them out on it, embarrass them, and make them say three things they're thankful for. And I know we hit over a 1,000. So that might say something about our complaint level. But um, I just thought it was such a profound like thing. It's just so easy to shift your heart in, in some certain ways. Um, but there's things that aren't easy to shift your heart in. And that's what I told Aaron. I just kind of want to take the next step in this process of thankfulness and thanksgiving. And so I have about 17 pages of notes. Um, <laughs> we will not get through them all. And I will do my utmost and my absolute best to kind of uh, spray you guys with the fire hydrant, you know, the fire hose. And you're just going to have to drink what you can today. I want to get through this reality. But I want to talk today about the next reality of this process, and it's actually the prayers of lament. So I want to I dive into what those are, why they're important, why I think the Lord is highlighting them to us here, how do you do it, how does the Lord respond to it, but the idea of lament and mourning and suffering. So just turn with me really quick, we're going to jump right in, yeah, right, we're going into Christmas and we're talking about suffering, just so you guys know, thankfulness is over. Um, no, I'm just teasing. So uh, Psalm 6, I'm just going to jump in. We're going to pray, and then we're going get, to get rolling. So Psalm 6, verse 2, the psalmist says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. And I just want you to notice the psalmist's confession of where his heart actually is. I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? That great lamenting prayer that we see over and over and over again in, in Scripture. How long will you wait? How long until you heal? How long until you deliver? How long until you come? How long until you restore? How long? How long more, O Lord? And he finishes, return, O Lord, and deliver me. O save me for your mercies. And Jesus says in the book of Matthew, I just think about this, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So God, I just invite you right now. We just invite you to pierce us through with the reality of your word and your heart. God, I ask you for language that just comes through me and touches hearts and ears and minds in this place today. This has been the hardest message I think I've ever had to work on. I'll explain that in a second. But God, we just invite you, we ask you. Move upon us. Meet with us in our mourning, in our sickness, in our weakness, in our brokenness. Come into this place so that we might get to a place of connecting with your heart. When I, when I, I, told, <laughs> I told Lauren that I felt like the Lord was telling me to preach on lament. So last time I was here, I spoke on Israel and what the Lord is doing there, and I've spoken on several things. The, the worship team probably thought I was going to speak on night and day prayer, which is why we sang, uh, anyway, I'm just kidding, uh, incense, whatever. Um, but no, I'm just teasing. Um, but when I, I decided to speak on this, there's this reality that happens in my heart, and I'm sure it happens to some of you who've had to share things, but I began to ponder and wrestle with this idea, and suddenly, out of nowhere, there's a rock in my chest. There is a lump in my throat all week and we're in the midst of Thanksgiving because the Lord has this, I, this thing he does to me when he gives me an idea to talk about, he makes me feel it and he makes me go through it. And I said, I'm going to preach on lament 
back in, this was when I was here last time, and the Lord said, no, you're not going to preach on the idea of lament. Many things do I have to say to them, but they cannot bear to hear them right now. And then on Monday when I spoke to Aaron, uh, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to preach on lament. And then immediately over the next several days, it was everything I could do at a moment's notice to just not weep. And that is, has been the hardest season, this, even the, just this last week, of preparation for a sermon that I've ever had to do because I'm doing it in the midst of Thanksgiving and spending time being joyful with my family and yelling at little kids in the woods. Um, but here is, here is where we go with this. And I, I just pray that we get through this and that the Lord highlights our hearts in this and connects you with it. So if I just start crying and stuff, we're just, we, we'll just start singing to Jesus and be fine. <clears throat> but we live in this reality right now where we, uh, uh, the scripture kind of informs us of this, we live in this incomplete age, right? There is a coming restoration, there's a coming fullness, there's a coming fulfillment of every prophetic word, there's a coming fulfillment of, of the promises and the things that God has prepared for us, but we live in this other reality where pain and suffering and human trial are real, and we can't deny that reality, right? We can't just live in that place of the not yet when we still function and, and actually have to deal with uh, suffering. And we have to deal with the fact that the, uh, the unrighteous mostly prosper, the wicked mostly prosper, right? So we live in this in-between world. And as much as we talk about these ideas of like brightness and dancing and joy, and I'm all for those things, um, the majority of human experience is one of sorrow and difficulty. It's one of pressure and trial. Yes? And many of you find yourself in those seasons right now. And if you don't, you probably find yourself reeling and recovering from a season of suffering and trial and hardship. Find yourself coming out of one. If, you, if you've in, ever encountered anybody who has just like, I never deal with suffering, never deal with pain, everything's good and joy and whatever all the time, watch that guy. Don't trust him. <laughs> he's never been, if he's saying that, he's either lying or he's actually never been through it, which is a little bit concerning. But the, the thing that happens with this is you may feel this reality that, that the Christian response needs to be to act like everything is okay in those seasons. How many of you have felt that? Where you've been in trial... And it seems in the body of Christ, in church, that we are supposed to respond as if it's all going to be okay. And it's all right, and everything is good, and we put on our little plastic face, and our Pinterest board goes up, and all of the little things that we're joyful and happy about. Yet we're suffering and in anguish in our soul. Our spirit is trembling and hurting because we are caught in this in-between world of the now and the not yet. We are caught in between pain and justice. And what I want to, to unpack today is that there is a language for that. There is a key. Where is Josh? There is a key, like you, you saw this morning in our little briefing upstairs. There is a key and a language for that in-between world that actually unites that pain, the world of pain, and the world of justice. And when that key turns and that door opens, or when we begin to understand how to speak that language, what happens is suffering, that pain, and, and, and the, the injustice that we live in, and justice draw together 
and actually connect us to the heart of the Father in the midst of trial and suffering and pain. But we have to learn the language of lament. We have to learn and understand how we process suffering and trial and pain, and we don't get to just sugarcoat it and move on. Right? We have this tendency in the body of Christ to respond to suffering and trial, and we, we encourage, whether it's implicitly or explicitly, or whether it's just some virtue signal, right, to just bury and hide that thing away, and it's all going to be all right. Just go ahead and put on the positive, encouraging radio station or pull up your, your upbeat, majesty-driven uh, Spotify playlist and move on with life. And God's response is, uh-uh. Because what happens if you don't process that? What happens if you don't work through your pain and suffering and you don't lament? It's going to come out somewhere else. It's going to bleed out on your spouse. It's going to bleed out in your conversations and the way you treat your kids. It's going to expose its ugly little head in your job, in your home, in your family. And so you have to begin the process and understand the process of evaluating that and working through that tragedy. The tragedies of all forms of things that come, come to our way. And guys, understand this. How many of you have a smartphone? Okay. Tragedy comes directly to you 7,000 times a day. And you are forced to feed on it. And yet... We think we can just brush it under the rug and move on with life and everything's okay. And it's not. But I think what we have to grasp is the way to navigate this present age is to embrace those things and to talk about them. And I think that lament is that way. So let's just unpack for a moment. What does lament mean? What is lament? Well, lament is simply prayer. But even more simply put, Lament means to cry out loud, to mourn aloud, or to wail, okay? <clears throat> so ponder with me this implication here. Scripture is full of songs of lament, of the Psalms, in right, the book of Psalms. Roughly 40% of them are psalms of lament, Roughly 40% of the songs that are sung in scripture are songs of lament. Where in our prevalent culture in the church are the songs of lament? What are we missing? What do the psalmists understand? What language do they grasp that connects them to the heart of God that we do not because we don't know how to sing or pray songs of lament. I mean, think about this for a second. There is an entire book in your Bible called Lamentations. Okay? How many of you before today have heard the word lament in your vocabulary in like the last six months? Um, two? <laughs> right? It's not prevalent. Something is missing. Right? And I, I, here, this is just something fun I want you to think about. Okay, the word lament, the translation of that title, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word is wailings, but the actual Hebrew word roughly translates to, ah! <laughs> Sorry, but it's true, right? There is this deep, guttural cry in Scripture that something is not right and it will not be made right until a certain day, right? Something is missing. 
And we, but we live in this era, we live in this time frame where tragedy comes up, these issues come up, pain comes up, and our immediate response is what? Anger, blame shift, right? We actually, this is, this is really where I think it goes. There's two kind of responses to this. The first one is we have to have knowledge. It's we blame shift and we get angry, right? When tragedy comes up, think of a, a school shooting or whatever, right? We, somebody is at fault, and if we just understand why this happened, we can relieve that pain and move on. And if we can't, the second response is what? We medicate the pain. We distract ourselves with all form of media and vice, whatever you, whatever you think it may be, whether it's actual vices or it's just, we just distract and, and, and cloud our thoughts and, and our judgment and our hearts and we just move on. And we never actually process the tragedy and the suffering and the pain. Just sit on that for a second. See, we, we respond in these ways, but very, very rarely do you find anyone simply expressing the grief and mourning and crying out to Jesus because things are not okay. Right? Nobody f- wants to feel the deep pain of loss, of suffering. And we have never given permission to a generation to mourn the fact that things are not okay. No legislation, no political leader, no party, no change.org, you know, what thing that you can sign. Nothing will correct this problem of human suffering. We do not have the answer to human suffering on this side of eternity. That's why we need a judge. That's why we need a righteous king to come. That's why we need the bridegroom to come forth and bring restoration. He's the only one with the solution to the problem. And yet we think if we get enough knowledge, we get enough understanding, or if we can just medicate that problem enough, the problem of pain will go away. (laughs) And it doesn't, it just gets worse. And it comes out later. And we, we, we get in this, like I start, when I started talking, we get in this idea, and it's common practice, I think, in the, in the church and in the body of Christ. There's this, like, social rewards ladder kind of thing that we've constructed in our head that if I just say the right thing and I do the right thing and I put on that plastic face and I just keep moving on and I put on the right songs and I, I express that joy that I'll get the applause that I need to just move on with life, right? And we all do it. We all do it. We all do it, but we never actually process the deal and deal with the sickness. We never deal with the mourning. See, we never we we are expected to come up with the answers, and then like compile some kind of answer to why I'm going through the things that I'm going through and why the thing happened that happened, and and then we're supposed to have that answer and just live off of that answer as if it's sufficient to our problem, but it's not. Again. The issue is injustice in the earth, right? The issue is that Jesus is not here right now. And there is a longing in scripture for that to be fulfilled. And that is where the cry of lament connects us to his heart. See, you put on that face and you go on, but inside you're bitter. Inside you're confused. Inside there's questions asking God, where were you? When my child died, where were you when my spouse left? Where were you 
God? Where were you when that diagnosis came? Where were you when my father died? Where were you when I lost my job? God, where were you when we had to give up our home? Where were you? And we have no answers because we've not talked to him about it. We've not actually gone through it with him. We've not actually lamented the issues of our heart. This is the part where I cry. Give me a second. We have to let our prayers of lament ascend before God. See, prayer is that, incense. Night and day, let incense arise. But I want you to understand something. I love this. Worship team, you guys put together a great song list today. Where did we start? That my God is a consuming fire. And for incense to be produced, what do you have to do? Burn it. You have to feel the pain and suffering. You have to feel the aching of the heart to produce an incense to the Lord that he finds pleasing, actually pleasing. Does that mean God is some vindictive person who wants you to feel pain? No. But you are wholly separated from him in the flesh. And there is some burning away of chaff that has to happen in our hearts for us to connect with him. And there is there is no there are no songs of this earth. There is no therapy session that you can do. Okay? There is no round table discussion that you can have that will correct these issues in your heart. There is no counseling that you will find that will that will correct and draw your heart into the right direction except for conversations with the Lord, except for prayers of lament. Unless we think Here's where we're going to jump into scripture. Lest we think that I'm just speaking out of thin air, let's dive into where this is in scripture. All right, let's let's just explore a couple of verses here. If you turn to Lamentations, okay, ah, okay, three sixteen. <laughs> turn to ah three sixteen. Okay, he is he has broken my teeth with gravel, and covered me with ashes. Speaking of the Lord. Okay, now I, I want you to understand that the writer here isn't go, trying, to, tr- trying to present some deep theological reality. He's just expressing what's, what he feels. He's telling the Lord what's in his heart. And you know what? He wasn't really concerned about what the kids were going to hear in the room next door. Right? He wasn't leading a Bible study and thinking, oh, I've got to say this quiet so they don't understand. He, he, ah, laments it. You have moved away, my soul, away from peace. I have forgotten prosperity, and I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. At the death of Lazarus, this one's interesting. Jesus did not protect himself from suffering and mourning. Jesus, okay, the guy with access to everything, who can do anything he wants, did not protect his heart from loss and grief. How many of you would protect yourself from loss and grief if you could? You could all be raising your hands because you do it every day with distraction and medication and trying to gain understanding and knowledge. Jesus didn't do that. He actually could have just healed Lazarus from a million miles away and decided he's going to die and I'm actually going to feel that pain. He didn't even build some theological camp uh, or safe haven around his ideas and thoughts that says, well, you know what, he's going to be resurrected so I don't need to mourn anyway. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Why would I cry? No, he wept. 
the great, one of the greatest passages in Scripture, two words, Jesus wept at loss of a guy that he's going to resurrect in seven minutes. He did not disengage from the feeling of pain and loss and suffering and just say, it's all going to be all right because I'm coming again someday, right? We should take note of that. He wept and he cried and he felt the pain over Jerusalem as well. Right? As he drew near, this is in Luke, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over the city. Over his children. How I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not respond to me. You would not hear me. And he wept at the loss and he wept at the delay. That's what I want you to grasp. There is a delay here, and we have to wrestle with the delay that comes between pain and justice. And it seems as in that delay as if God has abandoned us. Where were you? Yeah? During the crucifixion, Jesus cried aloud. What did he cry? Eloi, Eloi. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and, and hear me, some people misinterpret that. The people that were there misinterpreted it. They were like, listen, he's lost his mind. He's calling out for Elijah. And Jesus is like, I don't care what you think or understand about this. I am going to embrace the reality of pain and suffering so that you can embrace the reality of pain and suffering. I am going to show you the way to do it. And there's, there's this idea that this, that this lament is some form of like expression of our fallen nature, of our disconnect from God. But I want you to turn with me to Revelation 6. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for their witness that they had borne. And they cried with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you judge and avenge our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? Do you understand this is happening in God's presence before the throne? Mourning and lament in his very presence at the end of the age. Lament are the cries from beneath the altar that say, how long more will you wait? This is not some expression of our fallen nature. This is what we've been presented and how we should live before the Lord. See, we think that when we experience pain, it means that we are far from him. Yeah? That if I'm in pain, that means that God is separated away from me. He is far away and distant. If you read those songs of lament, that's the feeling that they feel. Right? But, we, but the reality is the opposite. It actually is the, the, the key, the language to draw us near. And here's what happens. Here's what happens when we do it. Got another passage for you. Turn to Song of Solomon 4. I love this. 
verse 9. So actually, let me give a little backdrop. In, in Song of Solomon 1, okay, just, just bear with me through the poetic language of this being a love song from a bridegroom to his bride and understand it is the love song from the bridegroom to the bride, okay? And in Song of Solomon 1, the bride, that's us, the church, right? The bride cries out to the bridegroom and says, your love is better than wine. All of the pleasures of this earth, anything that could come to us, your love is better than that. Anything that I could have access to, your love is better than that. And look at Song of Solomon 4, verse 9. The bridegroom responds to the bride and he says, you have ravished my heart with one glance from your eye. One look from your eye has undone my heart. And your love, my sister, my bride, my beloved, your love is better than wine to me. Think about this. The God of the created order who could, again, have anything he wants, all of beauty, all of the, the great and wonderful things he has access to, of not only the created realm, but the uncreated. He, he could have anything, created or uncreated, never even thought of, and he says, the one thing I want is you to just look my way every now and then. And it undoes his heart. And he rejoices in your weakest moment. In your lament and your cry of pain, one glance, oh, this is what one glance looks like to me. You're in the car and you just had an argument with your kid who's, okay, who's driving now. <laughs> Sweet Jesus, help me. Um, I love you, Lily. But you've just had this rage in your heart and you just pause for one moment and you're just like, Jesus. That's it. One second. There's more to it than that, right? But that's, that's all it takes for him to be ravished by your love. For him to be set aside and blown away by your love because your love is better than wine and all the ple pleasurable things to him. He has extravagant passion for us. And so, how do we do it? How do we actually lament? How do we actually, and I'm going to, try to rush through this. I got six minutes. How do we actually process pain? How do we actually go through the trial and troubles? First one is this. Direct your complaint towards God. Really simple. What happens when trial and, and bad things come? We tend to grumble and complain, which is what Aaron talked about last week, right? Where don't we take the complaint and the issue? Mostly, we don't take it directly to him. We don't present it to him. Um, I had this, I had a, a, I don't know, open vision, whatever you want to call it. It was about seven, eight years ago. And it was related to the issue of offense. And in this, this vision, in this open picture that the Lord gave me, I was handed or violently received, let's say it that way, some very sharp rocks. They were thrown at me, whatever, okay? And these were offenses and these were woundings and things that hurt when they hit me. And my response in that was to just take them and just swallow them. And it hurt a little bit going down, yeah? And every offense that would come, I would just do that. I would swallow it and bury it. And what happens is those offenses then get in you. How many of you had a rock tumbler as a kid? 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like one guy, three people in a room? When you put rocks together in a tumbler, all those sharp, painful edges get knocked off. Yeah? And it becomes smooth. Okay? But the problem is, you do that, and you lose clarity on what the thing was that offended you. All the sharp clarity, all the sharp edges of that offense just kind of get knocked off over time. But guess what you're still doing? Carrying the offense with a whole bunch of other offenses. Because you didn't take them before the Lord and just let, the word of the Lord is what? Like a hammer. Let him crush them. We got one or two guys that work at a, at a concrete and aggregate plant here, right? They understand the crusher. Um, we didn't let him crush and deal with those issues because we didn't take them to him. So what happens is we carry around this burdensome weight within us, and they just beat on one another, and we lose all clarity on what that offense was, and then the next person offends us or just barely steps on our toe like the kid in your car, my wife, whatever. And what do you do? You throw them all up, and you just use them as ammunition against them. But there's no, you don't even know why. You don't even know why you're upset anymore with that person. Right? It's like the Hatfields and McCoys. What does it go back to? Like a pig 100 years ago? You guys know that story? Whatever. Nobody has any idea why there is this feud between you and, and this person or your heart. They don't know. You don't know. You couldn't give clarity to it if you had any, whatever. The, the, all the time in the world, but yet you'll still just abuse those people. You'll just vomit those words back at them and things upon them and toss them as ammunition against them. And the Lord's response is this. Lament and mourn and process the offense with me in the place of prayer. Take that to me and let me deal with it. How do we do that? So we take it to him, right? If you look at all those Psalms that we looked at, Psalm 6, which is where we started, whatever, the, the, the way that it starts, what does David say? Oh, Lord. Oh, right? He's talking to God about his problem, right? But then we describe the actual suffering, Describe the events, describe in great detail the way you're feeling right now in the midst of this trouble and the pain and the things that you're going through. Describe it. And here, you're not going to be less holy for doing that. For striving to be honest with God, he is not going to punish you. By the way, he already knows what's in there. He, he already knows. You're not going to surprise him. He's not going to be offended. You're not going to, it's not blaspheming to tell him something that he already knows that is inside of you and that you're trying to present to him and deal with. Just to give an example of that, again, Psalm 10, I am weak. No, that was Psalm 6. Psalm 10, why do you hide yourself from me in trouble? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Do you think the Lord forgot you? Do you think the Lord abandoned Jesus? No, but it is how he felt in the moment. It is. My, it, it, it's, it's the cry of, of the psalmist. It's, it's um, my, eyes, my eyes have become a fount of tears. I swim in my bed at night. My couch has become a pool of weeping. My eye withers away. Because I'm crying so much. Do you understand? Like, you can express these things to him, and he just receives them because it's one glance from your eye. Yes. Oh, I love you so much, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give you the answer. I'm going to respond to you. But we can't just dwell in that one place. We have to actually depend on him to move. 
right? So we direct our prayer towards him, we describe it, and then we actually have to just depend on him. We just have to trust him. We have to lean into him. God, you are the only one that can bring justice to this, this situation, right? You are the, I can knock on that judge's door night and day, Luke 18, and the Lord is the only one who responds. You, God, how long will you wait? How long until you do this? Talk to me. Respond to me. Meet with me. Weep, by the way, with those who weep. When you find somebody doing this, do it with them. It's okay. You don't, (laughs) we don't have to dance at every funeral. We don't have to play the tambourine in everyone's living room who is suffering, okay? Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. And walk through dependency on God responding. Don't try to give them answers, guys. This is, this, is why, this is why trial is so hard to be around. Because what is the initial response? You want to give them a solution. Learn how many, com- we've had conversations about this in the past. It's like, hey, if you just come into this and tell me, like you don't want an answer, you just want to tell me all the stuff then I won't try to give you an answer and we'll avoid an argument because that's my response. I'm a fixer. I want to fix stuff. And most of the time, she just wants to tell me stuff. She doesn't want a solution. And that's okay because she knows God is the only solution to this problem. More power to my wife. She's amazing. But in this moment, when we, when we get into the dependency on God, and I want to highlight my beloved bride back there again, so what tends to happen, and I know in my experience, is God's response tends to be so tender and sweet in process and in time. So some of you know we've been dealing with cancer for about 15 years, something like that, really long time. So when we received the diagnosis almost 15 years ago, um, we had to go through some of this lamenting, right? Like, hey, we could, we could just act like everything's going to be okay, but it's not. And so we had to make this kind of conscious choice to just wrestle with the pain and present it to God and talk to him about our suffering. And where are you right now in this diagnosis? Where are you and how long until you respond? But in the midst of choosing to do that, Not choosing to medicate. Yes, we did do medication. It's cancer, That's of course. But I'm saying to medicate our heart. We didn't bury ourselves in media and social media. We didn't bury ourselves in movies and Netflix and whatever. We didn't hide ourselves in some weird theological doctrine. We just pressed into the Lord. We didn't guard our hearts. And hey, you know what? What, What's the worst that could come? Well, we could come out of this in a really bad place with each other. And with the Lord. So we just have to lean into him and trust. But out of that came some of the sweetest and most profound revelation about the goodness of God to our family that sustained us for half a decade. There's new, new manna every morning, so he does give us some new, he's given us other stuff. But it was about a half a decade, one revelation that came out of us embracing this about his goodness that I never would have received if I just medicated it or searched for an answer. But what, so, so we, we direct it, we describe it, we depend on him, 
And then here's the last thing and how we do this. You'd have to dwell in him in his response. See, I'm, don't, you, can't, you can't get in this like cul-de-sac of complaint and grumbling, right? We're just going around the same circle, a bunch of Eeyores, right? Uh, woe is me, right? Embrace and feel the pain. Embrace and go through the process. And, and, but then you have to actually begin to dwell on Scripture and on him. And dwell when he does, like, like what I said, when he gives you the revelation of his heart, the greatest gift God can give you is when God reveals God to the human heart. Right? Who? When he tells you something about himself because you told him something about yourself, do you understand how that works? That's what relationship looks like. When I just be like, hey, this is all my garbage. What do you think? And he goes, this is all my goodness. What do you think? Oh, sweet Lord. It sustains you and you just live in it. You have to choose to dwell there and stay there, not put up your camp in, in the place of your pain all the time. It will come in waves, trust me. It's okay. It's going to come in waves. That trial and that suffering, that pain, the hurting that you're feeling right now in this room. It's going to come in waves. You lament and you tell him about it, and he responds, and then you live in that revelation that the Lord has given you. You live and make camp there. Make that your home. Think about how Psalm, we started with Psalm 6, and the psalmist describes where his heart is, but he, where does he end? He ends with, the Lord has heard my supplication and will receive my prayer. He will respond. What does he say? David say in, in, in Psalm 27 that I would have lost heart unless I had believed. And why does he believe? Because God revealed it to him. That I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. There is a commensurate response when we do this. You ravish his heart and he can't help but tell you things about himself. For those of you who have, who have had spouses, when you get them stirred up and, and they begin to feel emotion and affection towards you, it's like turning on the faucet. It's like turning the lights on and suddenly you begin to come alive to one another. That's what this is in this relationship. That's how he wants us to be. Psalm 42, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. In the night is in the sorrow. In the sorrow, and speaking of songs, I just want to invite the worship team back up. In the sorrow, in the night, in the dark soul, in the darkness of the night, the song of the Lord begins to come out of us. The response to who he is begins to come out of us. When we enter into that place of lament, enter into that place of mourning, enter into the reality Beloved, think about this, okay? I'm not going to encourage you to just be joyous and happy and put on a plastic face because that's not where you are. It's not where your heart is. Embrace where your heart is. Take it to the Lord and talk to him about it. That's not mine. You can leave it. I don't know whose it is. I'm just kicking waters all around. You guys can just begin to play. I, oh, I was here last time and I pressed you. 
to, hey, just lean into the prophetic and go wherever you want and whatever. And I'm like, do you have anything? No, it's okay. You know what? And I just wanted to say this from the last time. Sometimes the most anointed song, the most prophetic song is the one you actually plan to play. And I just want to encourage you with that because I don't know. Whatever you plan to play, it is what the Lord has on his heart right now. And if he gives you some flowy thing, go with it. That's fine. We'll press in and lean into it. Oh, I just love it. I love it. Jesus. Just invite you. Let's just stand all around the room, just where you are. If, if you can, that's okay. If you want to remain seated, that's fine. Whatever helps you to just connect with him right now. I want us to begin in our mind. Just picture it. I want you to take that pain in one hand, and I want you to take the justice of God in the other, the thing that we're longing for, the not just not just the answer to that one pain, but the answer to pain and human suffering. Just hold them in each hand and just begin to pray. Just begin to tell God right now. Talk to him about the pain that you're dealing with, about the trial, about the suffering that you is is real to the human experience. It's real. And just see how the Lord begins to weave and pull them closer together. Jesus, God, how long will you wait? God, how long will you wait to restore relationships? How long will you wait to deliver? How long will you wait? Just going after thankfulness right now is not helping you. I just want you to come down and just receive some prayer right now. And I'm, we're just, this is what I want the prayer team to pray for, is the grace to do it. Just pray for you, the grace to actually talk to God about your suffering. And don't belittle it in your own heart. Don't belittle it and brush it off. Oh, well, this guy has worse suffering than I do. That person lost a family member. This person's dealing with cancer, yada, yada, yada. It is real, beloved, what you feel. And God knows it's in there. And if you need grace, the strength to do it, just come down and just talk to the prayer team right now. Holy Spirit, we love you.
nations, God, hear my cry. Hear our hearts and our hearts' response. God, hear us. Do not delay. Do not delay. Save me for your mercy's sake. Return, O Lord, and deliver us. I'm going to tell you that the response to, to, to do this, to walk this out with Him, it's not going to happen just right now. Maybe for some of you. Maybe the Lord's just going to pierce you through and drop a piece of revelation of his goodness or his, his love, his mercy, his affection for you into your heart. But this is a process, friends. This is a process. The Lord is good, and I, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen him do amazing things. I've seen him uh, uh, instantly take away addictions from people. But for most of us, there's the process, right? so I just want to encourage you take this home write down a few little notes direct your prayers describe your issues, your hearts the place of your heart and then begin to ask him to fix it right, depend on him and then I want you to just take the word and start finding passages of his goodness, his mercy his character, his nature and just live there just live there you don't have to like spend your days pouring through and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get through the whole Bible in a year. That's great, that's wonderful. Find those little nuggets of his glory, his wonder, the things that you're asking him for, the things that you need from him and just live there. Read it a thousand times a day, meditate on it, pray through it, wrestle with it. You know, what if, what if we just actually believed what the word said for once? Rather than trying to understand and like correct and, well, this doesn't agree with where my heart's at, so it must be wrong. No, 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 no. Your heart should just agree with it. Just for one moment, just take the word at face value and respond to it and wrestle with it until it becomes life-giving in you. Dwell there. Make your camp there. Make your habitation there. Let it draw you into it. Let it pull you nearer to the heart of the bridegroom.
kind of the heart of the sanctuary right now and what's going on, just respect the, the, the atmosphere, whatever you want to call it. Just kind of allow those who are mourning, who are weeping, who are pressing into some of this to do that. Maybe take your conversations out into the lobby, into the narthex, and just kind of allow the space. We're just going to allow the space, the worship team to continue for a little bit, just to lean into this a little bit. Lean into this in your heart. Um, if you're not finished, just stay where you are. If you need a little time to do this right now in your heart, just stay where you are. That's okay. And if you don't, again, you're free to go. We're not going to hold you here. But God, we trust you. Jesus, we trust you. Father, we lean into you. Help us. Help us, Holy Spirit, to navigate this present age. Help us to navigate this in-between world. This in-between world of pain and justice. Help us to navigate and learn to become the masters of the language of lament. That we might feel your presence, that we might respond to you rightly, that we might be given revelation to sustain us. Connect us to your heart in Jesus' name.